It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Regardless of our current financial state, being financially independent is something that appeals to just about everyone. While it may not appear to be the case, there are things we can do in order to be able to create the lives we want and support the people we love. Joining us today to talk about how we can make money make sense is Jean Chatsky, the CEO of HerMoney.com. Jean has been the financial editor of NBC's Today for 25 years and the financial ambassador for ARP. She appears frequently on CNN, MSNBC, and was a recurring guest on The Oprah Winfrey Show. Jean is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. Her latest book is Women With Money. Welcome, Jean. Thanks for joining us. Oh, Joan, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm so happy that you're here with us today because I really wanted to do this show. There are so many people who are experiencing financial challenges. Many are going through things they've never seen before. They want financial freedom, and yet it's something that they struggle to achieve. What do you believe are the biggest roadblocks that many face to achieving this goal? Oh, boy, that is a, that is a big question. And, and right now, it is a pandemic problem. Um, I mean, when you look at, at the rate at which the virus is spreading, the enormous number of people who are out of work have to shut down their businesses. I mean, you, you really can't separate that. But if you take a look back, even before the virus, uh, I think that there are um, things that we don't understand about um, about how to become financially free, financially independent. It, it's there. I years ago um, figured out that there are really just five steps that you have to take, but you have to do these things consistently over, over decades in order to really get there. So, you know, first we have to earn money, right? We have to earn a decent living and decent is a very, um, it's a, it's an, it's a term that I chose because we don't have to earn an extravagant living. We have to earn a living that will allow us to live comfortably wherever we happen to be in the United States. And that, that can vary based on the cost of living where you are. Um, but it, it's an amount of money that allows you to, to pay your rent or your mortgage, make your car payment, um, enjoy yourself a little bit and, and save something. Um, the, the second step is that we have to save habitually. We have to save regularly. And these days we need to aim to be saving 15% of whatever it is we're earning on a consistent basis. And that 15%, by the way, can include matching dollars from an employer if you're lucky enough to receive them. So step three is that we have to grow that money. 
Um, you know, of course, we want to take that 15%. We want to build an emergency stash. I think that COVID has really um, pointed out the fact that an emergency uh, fund is not really a um, – it, it's not something you just want. It's something that you have to have. It's a need. Uh, and so we want to make sure that that's there. But then we have to take the money that we're saving and we have to invest it so that it can work for us as hard as we're working for ourselves. Um, fourth step is that we've got to protect this financial world that we're building over time. That does, again, hearken to the emergency cushion, but it also means having um, the right insurance, the right estate plan, so that um, no disaster can take this whole uh a batch of hard work that you've done away from you. And for me, step number five is that you got to figure out some way to give back that is meaningful um, to you because although more money doesn't necessarily buy more happiness, figuring out a way to give back actually does make us significantly happier. And I think um, that's always an important thing to remember. But as we head into Thanksgiving and the holidays, um, it's the time of year where we really focus on that message. Jean, one of the things my parents always taught me, and they were raised during the Depression, they taught me the importance of living within my means. With all of the apps that are available today and the increased use of credit cards, do you think that that's one of the biggest problems that people are not living within their means? I, I think so. Um, but I also don't think it's a problem. You know, we, we, uh, we hear personal finance experts all the time talking about skipping the coffee, right? It's all about, it's all about we're spending too much money on, on our lattes. It, it's really not that. It's, it's that the cost of living um, for years during the recession continued to rise while wages were just stagnant for a good decade, for a the vast majority of American families. And beyond that, we also have a massive student debt problem. Mm -hmm. And those payments have made it really, really difficult for young people, our millennials, our Gen Z, to, to live on what they make. I mean, in part, that's, that's a big reason that you've got people, um, young adults, living at home with their parents in record numbers these days. And so, yes, I think, I, I do believe that it has, it has become far too easy to spend and far too invisible to spend, as you were saying. But I also don't want to say this is all your fault because there's a lot societally that has gone on as well. Well, you're right, because anyone who graduates college, the debt that they've incurred, they couldn't possibly start off with a job that would enable them to cover those loans, pay rent, and live. So you're absolutely right. The, you know, they're starting out in the hole. And I think it was, you know, I, don't, I can't remember how long, and I'm really dating myself in this conversation, but I, I think it wasn't that long ago where the rule of thumb for a mortgage I believe was one week's pay was to cover your mortgage. And if you look at mortgage rates today and what people are actually earning, it doesn't even come close to that. No, it, it doesn't. I mean, I think if you can get your housing expenses um, in at, at 
30-ish, 35% of what you earn, um, particularly in the larger cities, uh, you're, you're, you're doing a good job. But, but then, of course, there is, and you, you brought this up earlier, there's the rising cost of staying healthy. Um, and, and it's a very important time to talk about that now because uh, we're in the open enrollment period for health care. So over the past couple of decades, two things have happened. First, um, individuals, much as we've been asked to take responsibility, more and more responsibility for our own retirements as the pension system has evaporated and the 401k system has taken its place, um, we've been asked to take responsibility for our own health care. And that is, um, that's a big cost. You know, we are asked to, even when we get employer coverage, even when we, we get coverage from our employers, we're asked to pay more every single year for that coverage in the form of higher co-pays and prescription drug costs, sometimes co-insurance. And, and right now, the we're in the middle of what, what we call the open enrollment period, the time of year where individuals get to once again make a decision about the health plan that we want for the next year. And, and we need to make that decision wisely. All too often what we know is that people simply just check the box and they continue the plan that they had the last time around. But research from the folks at GEHA found that uh, although um, about 40, 45% of people uh, pick the most expensive plan because they think that that's the plan that's going to do the best work for them, but at the same time, 60% buy more coverage than they need. So they're spending money, we're spending money that we don't need, that we don't necessarily have. And instead, this is a good time to reflect and take a more measured approach to making sure you're getting not just the right kind of policy for you, but the, the policy where your doctors are on your plan, if that's something that you care about, where your prescriptions are on the formulary, where you're considering whether a high deductible health plan makes the most sense for you, um, as it does for, for more and more people each year. You had mentioned that our goal should be about 15% of whatever we're earning to go into savings. How much cash on hand do you recommend that we should keep liquid? And I mean, as we've learned with the pandemic, people were out of work. And especially, I don't, you know, the rest of the country, I don't really know. But here in New Jersey, the unemployment situation was a disaster where people who lost their jobs in February or March as of June and July had still not received any benefits. So how much cash you know, the, I think the old school of thumb was six months. Do you still recommend that? Yeah, so so let's dig into that a little bit. I, I do. I think for a one-income family, um, six months. For a two-income family, you can generally um, go with a little bit less because when one person loses their job, often you have another wage earner to step in and help keep the family afloat. Um the pandemic would would argue that maybe we need more, but there are a shocking number of people who have so much less, right? I, I know that before the pandemic, we, we used to quote a statistic a lot about how um, 
nearly half of the country could not pull together $400 if they needed it in case of an emergency. And so what I don't want to happen is for those three to six month numbers, which sound daunting to a lot of people, to get in the way of saving anything. If you don't have an emergency fund, don't focus on the three to six months. Focus on $1,000 and then focus on $2,000 and nudge your way there. Otherwise, the goal seems too large um, and, and it makes it difficult for people to succeed. So that's for building that cash reserve. But what about people, Jean, who, I mean, I've heard horror stories, people who have wiped out their savings accounts, their futures are gone with just trying to keep a roof over their head and keep their family fed. How do they even begin the process of rebuilding their wealth? Um, One step at a time. And, and I know, I know that that sounds like a cliche. It is a cliche, but you, in times like these, first you focus on getting through the crisis. Um, hopefully, there'll be another round of stimulus. Uh, what we're hearing this morning um, is that that round of stimulus will probably be smaller than it was the last time around. We're looking probably. Uh, according to the economists at Goldman Sachs, at, at a $1 trillion package rather than a 2 or $3 trillion package. But it will likely include um, some supplemental uninsurance, uh, unemployment payments, um, uh, probably a, along the lines of $400 a week, not the $600 a week that we were seeing uh, through the end of July. There will likely be another round of PPP. There will likely be another stimulus check for individuals, although who will have who will receive it and when they will receive it is is unclear at this point. So you know one one step at a time, and that means doing a couple of things. It means getting really really honest about where the money is going right now. Um, if you are not tracking um, what's coming in, what's going out where it's going and how that has changed since before the pandemic, it's time to start getting honest with the numbers because only when you get honest with the numbers can you look at the sort of changes that you can make in real time. What things can you cut? Are are spending, spending and saving during COVID has been really, really interesting. So uh, let's, let's look at those two things separately. Um, when you look at the savings rate in this country, we track the personal savings rate. I mean, we, I don't do it personally, but the Federal Reserve tracks the person, personal savings rate. It's a percentage of discretionary income. And in normal times, it, it tends to run around 6%. In April, it popped up to 33%. Um, which was unheard of. We were, we were stashing away so much money. And that was a combination of things. It was a combination of the stimulus payment. It was a combination of the um, additional unemployment payments, which meant that many people were actually earning more on unemployment than they would earn from their jobs. Now, that tailed off over the last couple of months. But right now, we're still saving at a rate that's about double um, what we typically save at. 
And in part, that's because our spending patterns have changed, and they've changed dramatically. Um, we're spending on groceries. We are not spending eating out. We're not spending on travel. We're not spending on entertainment. We are spending on Netflix and other sorts of subscriptions. But as a result, we have um, had this, I think, eye-opening window into what's important to us, what we value. We now know what we need and what we don't need in a way that we didn't know before the pandemic. And that should give individuals some more clarity to cut expenses. You know, we don't need to spend money on, on work clothes right now because we're not leaving the house very much. We don't need to spend money on gas for the car because we're not going anywhere. Um, and, and those sorts of changes may enable you to either trim your budget or to um, and, and live more leanly if things are really tight or to stash away some more money for emergencies. So, Jean, how important is a person's credit score? There may be a lot of people out there that had good scores before the pandemic, but because they haven't been able to make their payments, it may have suffered in some way. So if that's the case, how can a person rebuild this score? And, you know, is it even something they should be worried about right now? Um, you know, a credit score is important. It, it is important when you go to borrow money. It's important when you go to rent an apartment. It's important when you buy homeowners or auto insurance. It's a factor in how much you pay. But if you're having trouble paying your bills, your credit cards, your mortgages, your student loans, you need to understand there's still some relief out there. Um, and, and you should be talking to your creditors. So let's just go over what's available. Um, federal student loan payments have been put on pause through the end of the year. If you've got federal student loan payments, you do not have to make them through the end of the year. And interest on those loans has been set to zero, so you're not accruing interest either. Um, federally backed mortgages. If you've got a mortgage that's Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or FHA or VA, um, you can get forbearance on that loan. You have to call your lender. You have to talk to them. It goes for six months at a time, but it can last for up to a year. If you're having trouble making your credit card bills or you're having trouble paying other bills, pick up the phone and talk to your lender. Lenders are continuing to work with people. And if you get it in writing from your lender that they have agreed that you don't have to make your payments for a particular amount of time, they are also not allowed to report you delinquent to the credit bureaus. And so if you've got that agreement, you want to make sure that you're checking your credit report to make sure that negative information is not being reported on your behalf that you, um, that you don't deserve. The book is Women and Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich Life You Deserve. If you'd like to get more information about Jean and her work, you can visit jeanchatsky.com. Or as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com, which stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read 24-7 magazine, or our digital articles, and be sure to sign up for our mailing list. Jean, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? 
So a couple of things. I just want to go back to the fact that now is a really important time to focus on your health care. And if you are not sure how to buy the best health plan for you this year, I've put together a very helpful resource. You can find it at geha.com slash howtoshop, geha.com slash howtoshop. The other thing that I think is incredibly important is that we keep the lines of communication open. You're, if, if you are managing your money with a spouse, with a partner, with a family, you got to talk about your priorities right now. You have to talk about what you want from your money and you want to talk about how to make this limited resource that we have go as far as it can possibly can. Having a plan is a big stress reducer. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. It has really been a pleasure having you here with us. Thanks so much for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.